2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to go to prayer first. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. As Tammy said, my heart's beating out of my chest. Father, I'm not one to get nervous too often. But Father, I believe it's just your presence. My Father, it puts us in a place that we cannot experience anywhere else. Father, the world cannot offer what you give us in your presence. Father, thank you for living in a day and time as we do that we can still come to a a church to worship you boldly and freely for who you really are, who your word says we are. Father, we just pray right now that you'll do a work in every single life. Father, I believe that uh, there's a need to be met this morning that has not been met and can only be met by your son, Jesus Christ. Pray right now for that soul that may not know you for forgiveness, may not know you for pardon of sin, may not know you for that free gift of salvation. Father, it would be my earnest prayer to see that soul saved this morning. Father, as you deal with me as this message uh, that's on my heart, I pray that I'll be able to preach it as you would want me to preach it, with compassion, but with clarity, with an unction from your Holy Spirit. Father, as we're getting ready for revival, I believe this message is for a purpose. Father, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your Son's precious name we pray, and amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage on us, of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let me say that again. It's not a very long verse, but I think it says so much. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In the day and time we're living in, I cannot say this enough. It is so important that we be sober and vigilant for what the enemy is trying to do in our nation, in our churches, and in our home today. Today. He is on the work. I believe it's because the Lord is literally on the last steps before coming back for His church I believe God's grace is sufficient in this time that he may see as many come in that he would have come in. And the devil knows that because the devil knows the word. And I believe that he's doing everything he can with his devices to uh, to take advantage of the church, to take advantage of individuals. And we need to make sure we do not fall victim. And the greatest way to do that is to stay Awake. I'm not sure what happened when it came to the fact I wasn't around in 1962, but I understand in that time, church uh, prayer was taken out of schools in 1962. Why? I believe because the church fell asleep. In 1973, we see abortion, literally the death of small innocent children, was uh, uh, legalized in 1973. And the fact is why I believe the church had fell asleep. And we can say countless things today that are happening in our nation today that are spiritually wrong, that are spiritually, that are, uh, that God's word says against. And we need to, as a church, as individuals, stand up and stay awake lest we, uh, have what it says, in, as Paul says, lest the Satan, lest Satan should take advantage of us. Napoleon Bonaparte once said this about China. He said, China is a sleeping giant. And he says, let her sleep, for when she wakes, she will move the world. 
Now, once again, I want to talk to that in the spiritual parallel. The greatest device that Satan can use is to cause the church to sleep. Because I believe the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful engine in the universe today to see cultural, to see uh, society moved and shaken to its core. We have what no one else has. And in fact... Christ said about the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not. That's what we are as the church. And I need to make sure that I'm not uh, falling asleep, that I'm not putting my feet up, that I, that I stay awake. And in fact, he li- literally says in the verses to come that, uh, that he would stay awake. But I want to turn to Judges chapter 16 with me. Judges chapter 16. That gentleman on the phone this morning said he was listening to a sermon before our radio program, and I think it was Dr. Charles Stanley, and he was talking about, this would have been yesterday, but he's talking about David Goliath, and, and he made this statement. He said, I had always thought David Goliath was a children's story, <laughs> you know, and it's such a shame that we've made such a powerful illustration of what God can do. Uh, once again, this small child of a boy, which was David to fight such a giant, such as Goliath, that we literally, I believe, that we couldn't handle the story (laughs) and the faith that David had, so we gave it to children (laughs) because we couldn't handle it. I say all that to say in Judges chapter 16, we we learn of the account of Samson, another one which so often has been brought down into big print and colorful pictures as an illustration or account for children. No, 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 this was not for children. This is for us, and we must realize this. But we know the story of Samson, that Samson had a Nazarite call to keep a, to not have a razor touch his head and to not touch strong drink and all these things that he supported. And the fact of the matter is, he was anointed, he was dedicated, and he was given up to God, living in a world, but not supposed to be a part of it. Folks, that's the church. We are called to be holy, we are called to be anointed, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And Samson had that as well. And the fact of the matter is, his strength did not come, what we understand, by his long locks of hair. And in fact, uh, over and over, Delilah asked uh, Samson where he got his strength from. Now we see in children's books, the story of Samson, that he was a stronger individual. I don't believe that. Because then surely she would have known where his strength came from. But she asked him over and over where his strength came from. I believe it was not on the outside that his strength was attained, but on the inside. Folks, it's the heart of the matter right here. As a church, it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside if the inside has nothing. But his strength came because the Spirit of God was on him. Look with me, uh, Judges chapter 16 Look at verse 10. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thy bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore brought, took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And they were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber, and he brake them from off his arms like a thread. 
And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of mine head with a web, with the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he waked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam and with the web. And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me th- these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, Thou There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told all all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up, up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines... Uh, came up unto her and brought money in their hand. Look at verse 19. Nothing can be done to Samson until he is asleep. Nothing can be done to the church until they are asleep. Verse 19, And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began then and she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke up, awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with the fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. I want to say this, the alluring world, we see that, that Delilah, the alluring world enticed and drew away, uh, once again began to have him open up, not just the outside of his words, but what was she after? She was after the heart. That's what the enemy's after, to draw us out, to bring, to see what's in the heart, to find out the things in the heart. I believe Satan's been working since that second great awakening to put the church back into a great sleep. I believe that's why prayer's been taken out of school. I believe that's why they were in the shape then. But how has the enemy slowly rocked us back to sleep? And let me say this. This is what's so beautiful, is we see an illustration that the enemy is trying to draw us to sleep, and we have things of the Spirit. Spirit of God, like revival and conviction and the word of God, which is what? Trying to shake us, awake us once again. Number one, I believe that the enemy, just as Delilah did, allured with enticing words. Isn't that what the world does today? Come this way. Hey, run after every desire I've said it before, the devil does not have red horns and a pitchfork. He looks like everything you've ever wanted. It's desire. He draws us away. Psalms 5 and 8 says this, Lead me, O Lord, in the right, in thy righteousness, because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. 
There is no faithfulness in their wealth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongues. Proverbs 7, 21 through 27 says this. With her, uh, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. I'm telling you, you are no match without Jesus Christ to the alluring words of Satan and the enemy. That's what it is. That's what Paul warned him about. Lest he take advantage. We know the devices. And yet still... We're like modern day Samsons. We're seduced and we're lured at these devilish Delilahs that we see every single way. I, you know, I'm thinking this because Samson had not actually lost his power. He only assumed he lost his power. You know, he was deceived by it. It was always there, but he realized the power was because of the obedience of God. It's like the A building uh, up there. Uh, so often, people who don't know, we've got very big ovens up there, but if they don't know how to light the pilot light, <laughs> they won't work. All this power, all this ability, but if the pilot light is not lit, it does no good. This same spiritually, without the obedience to God through the Holy Spirit, it's no good. We're not powerful. We're not be able to do anything in our communities, in our in our homes, anything. We've we compromise the spirit uh, with this world, and much of the church we see has been affected by it. And it's sad, but hey, we're living in a time when it's time that we wake up. I, I believe there's an illustration here. As he fell in love with Delilah. As he was embracing what we're going to talk about in a second, because number one, it's being allured by enticing words, but two, it's embracing this, this harlotry, which Samson did. You know, this is what happens when you're lured into this situation to lay with someone. I want to look at this. Judges 16.1. I'll just go ahead and say it right now. Judges 16.1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. I try to be candid in what I mean. But when he went in under her, he had entices to lay with her, entices to sleep with her, entices to, to make a union there, which once again, as the church, we are to make no fellowship, no union with the world. We're to look different from it. And yet Samson goes in to lay with her and becomes in the situation. But what happens when we lay in there? We're called as soldiers of God to put on the full armor of God. But when you go in to lay with this, with this harlot, so to speak, with the the devices of the devil, we began to peel back a little bit, right? We began to take the breastplate off. We began to to take uh, to not gird ourselves. We we put down our shield. We put down our sword, and we are not as effective as we once were. And this is what Proverbs six and twenty four says: to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. 
Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth to his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her, shall not be innocent. I'm telling you, much today we see in this plane of the harlot, in this forsaking of the bridegroom, we've went away from things, from precepts and commandments that God has, I'm just flying now, God just given to me as I'm going. But the fact is, that's what happens. And you know, they say this about sleep. And I looked this up, the first stage of sleep, uh, we see that it literally starts with the eyes being closed and they say in that first stage of sleep I looked it up it was on WebMD so it's got to be true the first stages of sleep is the eyes become uh, closed and then there's a reduction in activity come on the eyes become closed folks when did we get to a place where the world's done a good job, the enemy's done a good job? He says, I'll put it in your face enough that you'll get, you'll get desensitized to it, not hypersensitized to it, which is what we should be. We should be ultra sensitized by sin and things that go against God. But we've seen it so much that surely over time, we've just become desensitized to it. We've become, re- we've, we've forgotten to react to it and our eyes slowly shut. And that is the first stage of sleep. Open our eyes to sin. Open our eyes to deliberate uh, discommandment, disobedience to God. There's nothing wrong with that. We can still do it in love. We can still love each other, you know, but the fact is we need to be have our eyes open to it. Look with me, Judges 16, uh, a couple verses down, verses 4 and 5. Because Samson was literally sleeping with the enemy as he followed the passions of his flesh and rather than the God that he served... And it's the word tells us, look what it says in verse four. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. He loved her. He gave, this is what love is. You know, the word says you cannot serve two masters. Verse five, and the lords of the Philistines came up under her and said unto her, entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth. And by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee, every one of us, uh, eleven hundred pieces of silver. This is what the enemy does. He will use the very thing that you love. This is the enemy. He will use the very thing that you love. I don't know what it might be. It might be your career. It might be your looks. It might be your fame. It might be your money. It might be your family. I'm not sure. But he will take the very things that you love and he will use it to entice. Delilah, he loved Delilah. And in the back, we didn't see the actual intent of the enemy. The enemy was going to Delilah and saying, entice him. And find out whatever it'll take so we can overtake him. It's what the church is experiencing today the enemy taking the very things we love and the enemy is saying what will it take that we can overtake and we've embraced it we have a key strategy we see we see this This is the enemy's strategy in daniel 7 and 25 you don't have to turn there but this is what the enemy uses daniel 7 25 says this and he shall speak great words against the most high and look and shall wear out the saints of the most high and to think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and a time and a dividing of time. This is what Delilah did, was it not? On three different occasions, continually asking him, 
and pushing him. And let's be honest, the devil does not let up. He will continue to push and push and push until finally we grow weary. We grow weary. It literally says in Judges 16 and 16 that it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. This is the enemy. She pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. We allow the enemy's persistent words of negativity, persistent words of discouragement, persistent words against the word of God, where finally we just say, I can't take anymore. And we throw our hands up and that's not what we're called to do. You know, and that's why they say in the second stage of sleep, according to WebMD, that there are peaks and valleys, positive and negative brain waves, and the heart rate begins to slow, and the body temperature begins to decrease. It regulates itself. So we first see a slow of activity, the eyes begin to close, and then what happens? The heart rate begins to slow down. And that's what the enemy wants. It's all about the heart. When we no longer have a heart for the Lord, no longer have a heart to see people saved, no longer have a heart for the community, no longer, no longer have a heart for the unborn, no longer have a heart for the, the drug addict, then our heart begins and slowly but surely we fall asleep. At this point, experts say the body prepares to enter deep sleep. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, We'll get ready to close here in a minute. 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, subtility, you know, subtle, to lure, to deceive, so your minds should not should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, we must never forget, even on our worst day, we are no match for Satan in his experience on what he does best. Christ says in John, this is all he does, to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the thief does. Christ comes to bring life and life more abundantly, but this is what the enemy does. And just like Eve fell, so we will fall without Christ running the show. We have the potential in Christ, though, to stay strong and keep fighting the battle. James 1 and 16 says, do not err. Don't err from this. Don't think you can do it on your own, my beloved brethren. So after Delilah got what she wanted from Samson, just a little bit of compromise, right? It just starts with a little bit of compromise. She was able to lure him to sleep on her knees. She, and he began to be sleeping so deeply we're in that state in the nation today as Christians, asleep so deeply that a man literally came in and cut off these thick, uh, long seven locks of his hair. And the Bible says she began at that point to torment him. To torment him. That's what the devil, once we compromise, once we fall asleep, then we begin to, he begins to say, all right, now it's time to get to work. Put him in fetters, put him in chains. He's got no strength and he lost his strength. Judges 16, 21 through 22 says this. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him uh, down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. How be it? Look, 
This is the redemption of God. This is, I'm so thankful, despite our disobedience, despite our faithlessness, He's faithful. Is that not amazing? No matter how much I mess this thing up, He don't stop working. In verse 22 says, how be it? How be it? The hair of His head began to grow again after He was shaven. He says, that just I imagine that if he thought his strength really lied, it was in that, in that Nazarite uh, vow that he took. It was in the obedience of God, but a symbol of that was the hair. So when that hair, they didn't just cut the hair off, they shaved his head. But I imagine in the, in the midst of those fetters, in the midst of those, uh, those prison bars, that he could just reach up enough just to feel, and he could feel the stubble on his head and say, oh, there's, there's something there. There's something there. Folks, I don't care where you've been. I don't care how far you've fallen. Jesus Christ can still do a work to wake us up, to to not allow the Satan to take any more advantage of us than he already has. And this is the this is the stage. Third and fourth, because this is what's so imperative that we understand. The third final stage of deep sleep, it says when you begin to dream, uh, you disconnect with reality. You don't see things as they really are. In fact, you don't see anything at all. It says and during stage three, you might actually sleepwalk, that you may think you know you're going in a direction because you see it in your dream, but you might be going in an opposite direction. Folks, can I tell you that? You can be coming to church all your life, but if you're not awake to the Holy Spirit of God, it doesn't matter. You're not connected to the reality of God's Word. That's why we need to have our eyes open spiritually. He that has ears hear, he that has eyes see, and for our heart to understand, but this is the fact. And it says in that stage also, Voluntary muscles become paralyzed. You may not hear sounds in the waking world. You may not respond to activity that requires us to be uh, responsive to. And if we are awakened, we might even be disoriented. That's why so people don't understand conviction. You know, they're asleep to God's word and they begin to be waken up by his spirit. And what happens? They get upset. You ever waken someone up in the middle of a sleep? Ever have someone sleepwalk and you try to wake them up? They get upset. They weren't awake. They didn't know. This is what sleep does. But I want to focus this before we close. Judges chapter 16, look at verse 28. Folks, this is revival. This is what God is calling us to do to wake up. I can say this with utmost certainty. If you have breath in your lungs, you have another chance to wake up. If you have breath in your lungs, you have another chance to make good on that vow, that commitment you made before God. You have another chance to give Satan a black eye. You have another chance to make a difference in your family, to make a difference in your school, in your career, in your community, in this nation. And I'm telling you, we need it more now than ever. We need to change spiritually more now than ever. Look at verse 28. It's not going to be coming by anything else but calling unto the Lord. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I can tell you right now, this is what happens when we get in that state of discouragement. When the enemy has taken over, we think the Lord had forgotten us. The Lord hasn't forgotten you. He knows every hair on your head. (laughs) He knows your past. David says he knows your upsitting and your downbringing. He knows it all. Every word that's ever spoken in your mouth, he knows. This is the God. That, but he says, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. Only this once. There's a reality, folks, as Christians today. 
we may not have another chance tomorrow to make a difference that we can make today. We are the only hope that someone might have today. You say, well, I don't think I'm going anywhere tomorrow. You might not be, but they might be. Tammy, what a beautiful testimony in that. To think of those opportunities when you did witness to her. When you may not have saw fruit to it. But to have that peace that God may have showed you in that vision. That it was not in vain. That he was working. And Samson in the midst of those bars. And say what has happened? I've been lured away. I've been enticed by these words. I've embraced this harlot. I've been. I've, I've fell victim to the devices of the enemy. And here I am. Remember me only this once. Give me that great strength again that I once had. And maybe you're here tonight, I mean this morning, and you once were that Christian that you could be proud of. Maybe you had that strength that Solomon had, not in your own might, but in the Spirit of God. And you want it back. Maybe it's a reality that the enemy's done a job in your life. And you feel like you're in a prison yourself. He says, I pray thee only this once, O God, that I might be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. That even though I can't see physically anymore, that spiritually I can see. Samson in that moment repented. He defeated the enemies. We see the end of the story. He tears the whole place down. Totally, I mean, makes an absolute comeback in the Lord. And this is what we have to do. Want to read one more verse? And Mike and Sonny, I mean, uh, Joe and Sonny, if you guys can come up and get ready to give an invitation. Turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Because we need to wake up, folks. We've been asleep on the knees of the enemy for too long. Remember Matthew chapter 26? You don't have to turn there, but remember when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says he cometh to his disciples and say to them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. While we are sleeping, who's getting the... We're, we're living it up. But who's getting all the hurt? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He deserves better in my life. He deserves better in your life. And he says in Luke 22 and 45, And when he rose up from prayer, he came, was coming to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. God takes no comfort in us sleeping, especially in the last day that we're living in. Takes no comfort. My buddy Leonard Ravenhill, which I read a lot of, said this. Some Christians have already hung their harps on the willows, and yet others seem to delight in speaking of the church's present lapse as a proof of divine inspiration. But I myself believe that if the church will only obey the conditions, that she can have a revival any time she wants it. The problem of the church is the problem in the garden of Gethsemane sleep let me read that again the problem of the church is the same problem in the garden of Gethsemane sleep for while men sleep the enemy sows his sleep seeds through his cults lest man sleep the sleep of eternal death O arm of the Lord O the church of the living God awake Leonard's right I want to read one more verse and we'll give an invitation I'm going to say nothing else I believe this message, I've been struggling with this message all morning, probably because it's not easy to preach. But Romans 13 and 11 says this, And that knowing the time, and that knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's now nearer than when we believed. He says it. Now is high time. 
Now it's high time that we awake out of our sleep. It's time we start making a difference, folks. It start, it's, starts to be more than prayer, to be more than emoji. It be more than a Facebook status. Our prayer life should be making a difference. We need to start reading. Uh, instead of, once again, we hang on to these little devotions. Let our life be a devotion. Let us not be afraid anymore to witness to those that are unsaved. Let us wake up and see a difference. I'm telling you, the church has not changed from the days of Acts. It hasn't. I'm still serving the same living Savior. The problem is we've fallen asleep. I'm guilty of it myself. I need to wake up so I can make a difference. You can make a difference. All right, as we stand and we sing right now, listen. I don't know what stage of sleep you're in. Maybe you're wide awake. Well, God bless you. God bless you. Do a work. Start making a difference. But if you are asleep, they say this, and I'll say this and let him sing. In that first stage of sleep, it is the easiest to be awoken out of. You've not hit that REM, that that rapid eye movement sleep, that deep sleep. In that early stage, if you catch it early, it's so easy. Just a little nudge, and we can wake back up. Maybe that's what you need this morning. I'll tell you, we've got an altar right here where we can wake up to the Spirit of God. We can wake up to the issues that we're living with today that we should not be desensitized to. We should not have our eyes closed to. We should make a difference now more than ever. We don't need a revival April 20th. We need a revival March 1st, 2020, right here this morning.